0: Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to your malt mates at Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation. Beer is a Conversation is our weekly sit-down with some of the people who make the beer industry the interesting and dynamic thing that it is. And through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. This week, I chat with Sam Hambour, co-founder with friend Duncan Gibson of Hop Nation. As you'll see, Sam is quite the straight shooter and we chat about his move from the wine industry to creating a contract brand and growing it to opening their own brewery. We hear a little bit about their philosophy and approach to brewing and what they learned about running a business from running a business. We also hear a little bit about how, while they anticipated potential legal issues around the naming of Jedi Juice, they were completely blindsided by their run-in with ABAC. As always, it's a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having it. Sam Hanball. Welcome to Beer as a Conversation.
1: Yeah, cheers, Matt. Thanks for having us.
0: All right, my, my pleasure. As I said to you just off mic, Hop Nation is a, is a brand that I know primarily through the beers that you've made um, that that have a real uh, presence more so than the, the team behind it and the uh, you know the, the origins of the business. So maybe for, for those listeners who are in a similar position, tell us a little bit of the background to Hop Nation.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I actually initially hearing that, take that as a bit of a compliment, something that kind of been working on um, Hop Nation to be more than just the people but a brand and I think um, that's a goal of, of growing any any brand. Um, but the origin, so um, I guess I've personally been in the alcohol industry since 2003, um, started off in wine in retail and studied winemaking in Adelaide. You must have been pretty young. <laughs> yeah, straight out, of, straight out of school Okay, almost, yeah. And um, I was yeah, previously working on vineyard, so it's something I wanted to do. Um, and then with wine, um, leads to travel. Um, so was making wine around the world and ended up in New Zealand where Duncan and I became friends. Um, both, both brewed beers for fun in the back of the winery during so winter. So that's Duncan? My business partner, so Duncan Gibson, yeah. So we are the founders and still owners of Hop Nation, um, And I guess the idea started while we were over there, and I moved back over to uh, More into Peninsula near Melbourne to make wine. And Duncan went to the Yarra Valley. Um, And then we we wanted to start something. Wine was an option, but wine was going through a bit of a trough. Um, um, It's kind of, yeah, we, you know, personally, I've seen maybe two, two and a half cycles of wines up and down. So it's interesting to see where beer is at. But um, we started the idea Hop Nation, teamed up with um, Stephanie. Um, who does our design. She lives in Canada now and a small shareholder of Hop Nation um, and founder. And we got the brand. We had a couple of recipes and um, we heard that Hawker's Brewery was getting built. Um, So we approached them as being their first contract client. And then, yeah, brewed a beer called The Fiend um, Australian IPA, which is now deceased. Um, That was one of our original recipes and um, we, we bottled it, labelled it, actually... Um, the first beer we ever made they got the recipe a little bit wrong so we dumped it which was a bit of a sad day but we finally got it um, out and and took days off from our day jobs we were making wine and and went out and sold it and then yeah started building the back end and yeah went from there. Um, Just before we uh, move on so what happened to The Fiend did it not sell? um, Well it was a bit of sad it was was originally my recipe and I, I wanted to keep going but it was lost in its style there was a Back then there was a style of session IPAs, which now is pretty much where pale ales sit in their hop profile and their alcohol. So it, it just got a little bit lost and it wasn't it's not an IPA really. It's not a pale ale. Um, we originally wanted to have the base the brand around like provenance of hops and where ingredients came from. So we had the Australian IPA, the second beer we released was The Buzz, American Red, all American hops. And then we really tried to get a double IPA using kiwi ingredients, but we're just never happy with it. And um, I guess by that stage, we realised that was a stupid idea and we should just make the best beer we can using the ingredients we have access to. And and then we kind of built our range from that. And what ingredients were they? Um, We sourced them from, I guess, the major distributors here in Australia. So New Zealand hops, um, some New Zealand malts, A lot of American hops, probably our dominant hop usage is American and um, New Zealand with some Australian. um, And then some German malt we use as well, some Australian malt. Um, Yeah, there's – depending on the beer, yeah.
0: Talk to me about the difference in approach between making wine and making beer.
1: I guess there's there's similarities. I kind of look at it like um, cooking and baking. Cooking, which is winemaking, you just want great ingredients. You can – you know blindly throw some spices in and and you know add a can of tomatoes but um, brewing temperature timing um, ingredients technique has to be a lot more precise Um, you show the I guess the ingredients but um, the technical aspects is much higher Um, it's much easier to make wine in my opinion if you've got good grapes yeah
0: Okay, and because that's one of the things that fascinates me is that there's a with the growth of craft beer when we first started seeing things that weren't mainstream lagers that were starting to look like flavor there was a whole series of articles and I was guilty of it myself is that beer is the new wine and we, we I think we all want it to be because wine is seen as sophisticated it's having it's got a cachet it's got a high price point and all of those sorts of things but the the, the longer I've gone on beer and wine are fundamentally different products because wine. Um, when you speak to winemakers, it's often steering the evolution, you know, taking a grape um, and it's as much about the farmer as it is about the, the, the winemaker and letting that see its potential. Whereas the brewer starts with, this is what I want how do I construct that, what are the parts that I need, what are the brewing temperatures, what are the ingredients, what are the um, you know, mashing times, when do I add the, the hops, and it's, it's much more like cooking where you have a recipe that you have to follow and you know, different changes to that can come with a different end result, but you start with the result that you want to achieve most often in brewing. Is that a Do you have any observations on that Yeah, those? I mean, that's
1: definitely probably the, the mainstream thought on it. I mean, I think in the language um, in the Australian Brew scene especially in um, the breweries dealing with more of the the sour wild beers the language of where the ingredients especially grain where it's grown the varieties used um, how, how it got to the brewery is, is becoming more and more um, but yeah realistically beer you can fine-tune you get to make it whatever you can make a batch of the same beer once a month see the result tweak it fine-tune it and realistically you should be able to nail it if where you want to be i mean it takes time but you can get there wine you know each year tells a story and and you can't dictate that you kind of given the grapes and you just try and make the best um, wine you can so yeah it is very different i think with wine you can blame the vintage quite a lot if if you've beer that's not quite right you can't blame it's the weather not the winemaker yeah exactly and and with beer though you there's no real excuses yeah ingredients are usually pretty pretty bang on and to spec so, so then it's the brewer yeah
0: but it, it, it sounds like it was a, a, a clinical uh, to, to some extent a clinical decision that you made well we've seen wine go through these couple of cycles beer is in an up, uptick at the moment that's what we'll get into. I mean, is that an unfair characterization of, of the way that you got into brewing? That we'll... um,
1: No, we, we saw a commercial opportunity. Yeah, we both wanted to start a business. Um, at the time, I was working for um, a, a bit of an old prick, and, and he kind of really inspired <laughs> I'm me. I'm sure he's listening. Yeah, <laughs> he really inspired me to do something of my own. Um, didn't really want to be working for Have someone else. Have you ever like thanked him for that? Um, he doesn't speak to me anymore. So <laughs> I was selling too much beer while I was making wine there, I think. Um, no, he's, he's fine. Um, he's what he is, but, um, yeah, it is, it was a, it, I mean, at the time when we started, a lot of people told us we'd missed the boat and the the craft beer bubble had gone, but we, we kind of believed and we had a lot of energy to, to put into it. And, and we've really just been like heads down the last four years. So, and, and now we actually lease a vineyard and make wine. But wine's become more of a hobby and we sell a bit of it. A lot of it goes through the bar. You, you, you've swapped. B- beer's now a business. Um, and, you know, we're still having fun brewing beer, but we're now we're like a. There's enough families that put food on our table from the beer we sell that it's a little bit more serious. Yeah.
0: And, and it, actually, that's a, a topic that I'll come back to when we sort of uh, talk a little bit about the, the challenges of growth. But talk to me about. Um, When you first started, there was the three of you, um, went to a contract brewer, um, you you had your brand, you were selling beer outside of your um, day day job. Um, How quickly did that go from being a bit of a um, sideline to being an inconvenience to your day job to becoming your your full-time job?
1: Yeah, I guess Duncan and I sat down and, and we said, we either got to jump in this properly oh, there's no point' there's no money or opportunity to take you know pay a salary out of this what we're doing. It was just fun. Um, so at the same stage, Duncan's old um, uni friend over in New Zealand up in Lee sawmill brewery gave him a call and said they were selling their brew house and equipment. It was a really good offer, but that we had to go over there and take it out of the building, cut it up and get it in a 40 foot container. Um, so we said, we like rallied up enough money to make that happen, um, and and said we're gonna have a go. We pretty much signed the deal in the brew house without a warehouse, and then we would we just we found this warehouse. Um, it was the first one we looked at after speaking to a couple of councils. We we we, we liked the west and we liked Footscray. New was an area we wanted to be in, and we we also looked at a couple of other um, suburbs, um, but they. are this warehouse looked good. We we actually went in pretty blindly. I'd never do it like that again. Um, we got away with a bit, because um, you can get quite unlucky with zoning and you know all the other council things. Um, so anyway, yeah, it was around twenty late twenty fifteen. We um, Duncan went over and his dad met him up there, and they spent a week cutting it up, put it in a forty foot container, and then we set it up in the warehouse in Footscray. Well, we tried to. We didn't have enough power and the water wasn't right. So there's a few things to fix. But then um, we were going to plan to brew for about six months and then open a front of house. We pretty much as soon as we got it brewing, we, we were out of money, so we opened the front of house straight away. Um, and and then the bar, it was it's been like embraced by the community ever since, and it's pretty much funded most of our growth. Yeah,
0: which is interesting. We've just done a panel looking at startup and growth, and um, with lawyers and insurance suits. Uh, on it and uh, one of the things you you eschewed a lot of those sorts of things you you assumed a lot of risk early on and you've just even spoken about a little bit more risk that you took on in in, in terms of doing it do you think god that was only five years ago um, but has has the market moved on that quickly that it would be much harder to bootstrap it the way that you did or take the risks that you did
1: and still um, flourish Um, I think yeah, there's more people that that know how to play the game now, and and as you see the development of of this type of conference, there's there's a lot of people still interested. There's a lot of people that know what they're doing or are trying to get things. So yeah, it's probably tougher, but I mean, there's still if you do things well, people are going to embrace it. I mean, uh, a small brew pub in a in a suburb, you're pretty much opening a a bar. Um, if you know how to run a good hospitality venue and and you can make some good beer and you're getting people in, it makes sense still. I mean, there's a lot of people still opening bars and cafes everywhere, a lot of them opening and closing. And those small type little brew pubs will probably end up in the same genre. Some will become cult little brew pubs and some will come and go.
0: It's interesting you say that because I, I, I look at the the way the industry has expanded. Um, I, I think there was a period when everyone started, no matter whether they were starting using old milking equipment or whether they were buying breweries, that they still had that vision of growing. Um, and, and that was the only trajectory that people wanted to be on. Um, as the industry's matured a little bit, um, there, there are people that just want to be a you know, there are two different models. You can start and then grow quickly into a regional model, or you can be a successful local player. Um, but both of them seem to very much, well, and particularly the second one, seems to really centre around being a hospitality-centred model. Um, and how much do you guys see what you did as, we were hospitality first and brewing was just our product, or we were brewers and that
1: was our cellar door? We, I guess we always wanted to um, distribute that was um something we actually initially sold most of our beer through Sydney because we had an agent and we didn't have time to sell and then, as soon as we kind of worked it out a bit more we we brought it brought it back um I think I think like just the like the margin on a pint of beer um, and the fact they pay you straight away um has really helped us. I mean, we really kind of were a sellerdorf for a while with no frills at the bar now we try and Um, engage the customer a bit more when they come and and create a better venue for them um, to to get them to hang around for longer and that's something we want to expand on. Um, Wholesaling I mean we just saw Prancing Pony presentation the margins on an interstate distribution for a small brewery is um, doesn't make sense um, especially competing against the local medium brewery in that area so yeah to I mean, we're seeing a few now, people coming in wanting national distribution, but with with a big bucket of money behind them. And I think a lot of them are pouring a lot of that down the drain to try and get traction, but they want it now. You know, they want it in the next two years because sort of all the, the figures and analysis is telling them they need to do. But what about the sustainability,
0: which is one of the things that culturally, politically, and also... In a marketing concept, sustainability is something that's increasingly becoming a, a, an issue. What's the sustainability of trucks of pale ale crossing each other on the Bruce Highway, going, you know, one going north, one going south, just to satisfy a different market?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. I mean, realistically, it's 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 stupid. Um, exporting beer is ridiculous. You know, that's why the big companies brew their main products in Australia now. I mean, but brands um, hold value and people want that brand. And if if, if if people can be convinced that they want to buy a brand from interstate or overseas, then I guess it shows the brand has some um, backing, whether it's through quality of product or that they just love the story. Um, I guess trying to get a combination of both. But there's there's people in every town and city that get excited about different beers from different places. To get them drinking your pale ale, though, is much tougher than drinking your new IPA, yeah, it, which is a, an, an
0: interesting uh, idea. How much is that excitement of the consumer um, important to to any business um, these, these days? You know, no one gets excited about a beautifully elegant, complex pale ale. It's the yeah, you know, it, it's the Jedi juice or the you know sort of the the thing that's got a an awesome cachet to the brand something that resonates and people go that's cool but then it's also got something interesting about the 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 beer as well that people talk about can you sustain a just a a delightful elegant um complex you know boring
1: beer um well i mean i guess realistically that's what people are drinking by the volume um so i think the loudest people out there are talking about the double IPAs, and you sell it, and it can be a good one-off sale. But um, like for us, our pay ale is still our biggest seller, um, and we really back that because it means people get ex- can get excited about something weird and wonderful we make. But if they're drinking a uh, um, pale, it means there's a trust there as well, and that they want to take that home into their house, put it in their fridge, and and just drink pale hour at the pub. They're drinking pints of it, which is, I think, more sustainable than always trying to be on the forefront of the next cool thing. That's fun as well, especially for the brew team and stuff because it's creative. But, um, yeah, there's something about yeah, getting people drinking your beer that realistically isn't that exciting. It's just trustworthy and tasty. So talk to me
0: uh, about winemakers, contract brewing, Great deal on a, you know, I don't mean to, to do the fifteen word summary. Great deal on a uh, on some used uh, brewing equipment, brought it over, launched your tap room. What saw you grow? Because um, because so far that sort of stuff is fairly common foundation story.
1: What was it? What was the secret to your growth? What made you guys stand out? Um, I guess one of our main focuses was building a portfolio that. Um, was kind of both quality but covered the different um, spectrum of, of drinkers. Um, we we kind of, I mean, hops are always getting people excited. We use some pretty aggressive hopping regimes and try to create um, a, a brand and story around each beer and imagery. Um, I think the online presence has helped us a lot, um, which has been a slow build um, just through social media. Social and, media, okay. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think we've had some pretty good people in our team now from logistics to design um, to, to try and make it work financially, which are pretty key parts. I mean, personally, I can do all those things, but I've always wanted people in the team that I know do it better than me and slowly as we afforded could afford new people, we get the person just to do what we were doing but better. And we've from adding brewers to um, our sales team, Um, yeah they're just I think at Collective they've helped us build I actually don't know the answer to that question Um, not taking a holiday (laughs) well you just said for the first time since you started the brewery you put your out of office on Starts Tonight Starts Tonight (laughs) I'm going on a boat going surfing on a boat for 10 nights in in northern Indonesia. So I'm looking forward to that. Nice. Well, we'll have to say lots of bintang in your future. I think I'll be drinking a lot of bintang (laughs) and I'm not going to really care about it either. I'm going to enjoy it. I just had a great chat with Pete Brown
0: talking about they have their moments um, and and you, you can't take away from them. We would like to thank Rallings Labels Stickers and Packaging for sponsoring this edition of Beer is a Conversation. If you are looking for a more efficient way to package your small run, collaboration or special release beers, make sure you have your own conversation with the guys from Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. They specialise in supplying ready to fill, shrink sleeved cans or bottles to the craft beer industry. They take care of everything for you and take the pain out of packaging your special brews. If you would prefer a label or sticker on your cans or bottles, Rallings can help with this as well. Just give Paul or Brad a call on one 852 235 to discuss how they can help you. If you can't stop to write down that number right now, it's in the show notes with a link to their website. In terms of growth, it was you and two partners, essentially. Um, how have you funded growth? Have you brought in new partners? Have
1: you sort of gotten bigger bank loans? Um, Yeah, I guess we've gone through a couple of phases. Um, We initially, it was, you know, I think um, the Prancing Pony demonstration had a, um, presentation had a great graph, but um, if you can look at it on the slides, it's it's, um, really interesting. But initially, it's friends and family um, got us off the ground, and also ANZ had a no questions asked overdraft for for small business that they launched before the um, Royal Commission. Um, (laughs) Now they don't talk to us, but... um, Oh, damn, I was going to go make them, make a call to them to expand. Um, <laughs> that was... Yeah, and then we've um, yeah taken out a couple of other loans at the bank. We've actually sold a little bit of equity in the business when we were going through like a from probably two hundred to that four hundred thousand liter mark just to pretty much pay for working capital. Um, and who was that to? Was it just private? Uh, it, it was it was um, our business advisor now who helps us. It sits on our, our board. Um, and that was, that was a pretty key one because we, you get to a point where you're pretty much a bank to the bottle shops and, and, Mm -hmm. and pubs. So no, people just stop paying you, you know, especially come Christmas time, all the terms flow out and really, you know, you can be half a million dollars owed to you before you know it. And, and that money's not in your account and that's in this little red section on, on your accounting software. Um, so that was a tough point for us. We haven't really – we invested in a new canning line, some new tanks, refitted our brew house and, and whatnot. But most of our money we've needed is just to to fund sales. Um, it's, it costs money to sell beer and hold stock. Yeah, um, And now we're going through another phase where we're looking to um, expand on our brewery um, on in, in the same block and we're looking at raising money and we're looking at a few options at the moment because – yeah, we're 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 out of it ourselves. Besides what the business rolls. So, what sort of volumes are you doing now? If you don't mind, um, me? we we looking at around six six hundred thousand liters a year. Yeah, and when you're looking at sort of an
0: in, in injection now, are, are you considering equity crowdfunding? Are you looking at uh,
1: sort of off market investment? What, what, what's the thinking? Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. We we really don't want to. Sell equity It's like the one thing we have. Um, but um, once the suits get a bit shinier and the people get a bit more switched on, they, 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 they know what they're doing, and and they want to see returns, and they don't. It's on it's on their terms. So, just avoiding that as much as we can. We probably won't do a crowdfunding. We've talked about it, but it's not something we we look at doing. We we're just chatting with some, um, I guess partners that we think will benefit the business as well as believe in our story yeah so without giving away too much no 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 there's, yeah, yeah, yeah there's no. people we're chatting to but it's a hard one we still don't know there's there's a few options but like we're just trying to get away with keeping it as much owned by duncan and i still yeah
0: when you said believe in our story so what is your story is it like proudly independent is it making just awesome beer
1: what is Hop Nation Brewing Co? Um, I guess it depends who you're talking to. I mean, for us, we want to be a sustainably sized brewery. Um, we we don't want to be huge. We just want to be distributed, making um, great, innovative beers, um, as well as like a, a trustworthy, tasty core range, um, and then and and run a good venue. Um, where people can come and have a good experience um we have like another couple of side projects with site fermentation project which is um now our sour um beer range that is, is growing quite well as well as and, and we have a wine brand now that we're slowly growing so there's a few facets to the business now beer we we don't want to compete with the um the mega discounting and and big keg deals It's there's no fun in that which we wouldn't not have to reduce our quality of ingredients to bring kegs down to a price that is getting sold at the moment. So we want to stay premium in what we're doing and and our volumes to match that so it's it's sustainable in, in where it sits.
0: So what is sustainable growth? Because it's it one of the things that always fascinates me. I had, had a uh, chat with Greg Cook from Stein Brewing 10 years ago and they were never going to send their beer o- over to Australia and he had a whole lot of justifications for that and suddenly – Stone is everywhere in Australia at the moment. He says it's because the market has changed and it just hasn't because there's a lot of stone sitting on the fridge, uh, sitting on shelves. But I, as part of that, I, I see, I, I saw it as they were losing scale in the US. Their, their, their volumes were going off in the US and they were essentially um, hedging internationally uh, you know, by, by creating demand internationally. And as part of that, I asked him, you know, is there a ceiling to what craft beer can be? Because we are seeing all of the largest breweries in the US hitting a point and then really struggling with natural growth without hard seltzers or hard tea or acquisitions or whatever. Um, the, the Australian market is very, very different. But what what does a sustainable size mean for you when you use
1: that term? Um yeah, that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess it's the people behind it. So it's one of those things. The more investors you get on board, the more growth they want to see because, yeah, people with a lot of money want to use it to make more money. That's kind of the gist once you get in the in – the, well, that's what I feel anyway. But um, I guess it's, you know, a, a lifestyle um, and feeling comfortable about moving through your beer, not letting it sit on shelves, not discounting it just to get into a place, um, just I guess being sustainably from a business point of view, and also um, yeah, to keep the people there happy. I mean, growth's good, and everyone talks about growth, but to there's a few like jumps in size in breweries in Australia, and and you know there's that one million liter mark, which um, I mean um, um, there's a few people that say that's the magic number to distribute. Um, nationally sustainably um to make you know to pay you know to run it financially sustainably but um beyond that you you you, yeah um speaking to breweries that have gone beyond that that's about where you stop having fun um (laughs) and then more suits are sitting around the table um and then that's the game you're playing and so at the moment we don't want to play that game or don't believe that's where we want to go um there's lots of breweries that do, and there's lots of breweries that want to sit a lot smaller. But um, you know, initially when I started the company, I wanted to feed five families. That was my first goal. Now we've got um, a bit over a dozen full timers, um, and everyone's got a. We've got a great community. The more people we get in, the more corporate has to become, uh, more HR that needs to be, and all those things that come with it. So it's just what that what point is the tipping point of it being a in a fun workplace and. You know, I mean, it always can be fun, but then turning into a, um, you need to make profit. It becomes to work. Yeah. work. you need to make profit to make someone happy.
0: These are all things that resonate with me. As you know, we're seeing beside Claire, um, who you know, I've, I've got a staff now. It's no longer just me in my underpants at home writing about the beer industry. I've got staff, and uh, but you also get to put your out of office on because. You're no longer the, the business isn't going to grind to a halt. If you, if you, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. see I, yeah. I'm going to touch base in two weeks and see if you've still got a business to to run. But that's one of the things. It uh, growth does provide. Um, you don't have to be there 24 hours a day because you've got people and you, you've got to trust them. But you also need to know that there is a business of a certain scale that can support more than just yourself.
1: Yeah. um and and new challenges come with more people I mean um, now you start dealing with people's problems and they become your problems but don't have any problems please please <laughs> <Claire. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but that's part of it I mean that's you also get the you know the benefits of, of them as well yeah
0: and was it was there anything in your background that prepared you for becoming the HR manager and the marketing manager and the finance manager and the you know all, all of those things to do with any job um, um,
1: no, not really. I've been, I've really enjoyed the learning curve I've been on. It's, it's, it's been incredibly steep every week. It's got a new challenge that you have to learn. And, um, you know, I've started a, um, business course when I was in New Zealand, I was intending to an MBA and, and now I have no interest because of, I you get to do it in real life. Yeah. So
0: every day is a, is a new class.
1: Yeah. So I've been, I've enjoyed it. I mean, yeah, there's be, obviously every day has its ups and downs. You get good news, you get bad news. Yeah, it's not as bad as sales, the ups and downs in sales. I'm glad I don't do much of that anymore. <laughs> that's that's, um, that's a breed of a person that does that. But um, yeah, no, it's it, it's good. There's a, um, you know, I think now we've got someone helping with the um, watching the numbers because they run away pretty quickly, and um, now I don't have to have my finger on the pulse as much. I can just check in on that, which is great. It's been a big one.
0: There have been a couple of things. You talk about shiny suits and even to the presentation we did, there was a, a little bit of, um, not anti-suit, but you know, suits aren't all you need um, and, and there's a little bit of distrust to suits. But at the same time, you're talking in uh, a business-like manner about a lot of things, you know, debt management, you know, uh, inventory, um, finances. And at the same time, you're talking about still enjoying what you do how how hard is it to balance those competing you know to the the corporate side because you are in a business like it's a craft brewing business with the passion for what you do and enjoying what you do every day have have you found that a difficult conversation to have with yourself about how far can I go and still enjoy this
1: um I mean I, I enjoy the business side of it I mean Duncan and I both when we started we both brewed we both were doing the business side and then um, about a year and a half in, we kind of sat down and said, "Look, um, Duncan, you're you're a better brewer, you're more practical. I can answer an email. How about we just kind of split the the role a bit?" And and then we've managed to grow into two separate roles, um, and we don't step on each other's toes because it's. Um, yeah, I mean, when you, you're pretty much living with that person day in day out in a business, so you need your space as well, and and we've managed that so far, which has been good and pretty key, because um, when we're actually building the brew house, <clears throat> we almost tear it each other's heads off a few times but
0: um which is something i wanted to ask and, and again it's it's i, I asked the question that comes into my mind not going anywhere but do you have any plan in place for if you do disagree because it is a it, it, it's a little bit like a marriage when everything is going well um it, it's going to be well forever but it's it's only when you know things dissolve or when, when, when there are problems how do you resolve that how do you manage that how do you plan for those sorts of challenges
1: it's one of those things you can plan for but realistically, if something happens, you've got to deal with it um, beyond the legal side of it. But yeah, we have a, a pretty extensive shareholders agreement that covers the legal side of it. We have an um, external board member that comes in um, when we do want to um, throw options out there, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, even if we have a foolproof plan, if when things happen, you still still have to deal with them and, and and luckily so far we've been managing to work through it yeah without
0: how, how many people on your board and h- how did you come to form a board
1: um it's it's only really the three of us okay yeah so it's um so it's a
0: board in it's a fairly informal board it's not a
1: yeah yeah um it's only usually one of us wearing a suit and it's not me i don't think um but yeah pretty informal but um it's it's also I mean, people use the term board, but it's just, you know, it's also good to bounce ideas off people. And, and we use the industry and and other people within our community as informal kind of, they're not board members, but the same conversations we probably have in a boardroom. Um, yeah, so we probably use the community more so far than a formal board tried to we've tried to avoid that i mean we're getting to the stage where we've got to start talking about those things more but um that's part of the growth stage yeah just before
0: i let you go because i know that you've got an out of office uh to put on um just talking very quickly uh about the the abac the jedi juice um you, you touched on it during our presentation did ABAC wasn't even on your your radar um, with it. It was more potentially a cease and desist from from, from Disney. Talk to me through that whole experience um, because it it, it does seem to have come a little bit
1: out of nowhere. Um, Yeah, I guess we got an initial email from ABAC saying there was a person that had walked into a bottle shop with their 16-year-old friend's children and one of them was interested in the label, said it looked cool. They took that as a complaint, and we, um, we had the chance to um, explain ourselves, and we um, wrote back to them, and they, yeah, they stood on their ground that it was um, advertising to children, and then we chatted to them again, and I mean, they're like many things, everything's kind of negotiable if you're doing the right thing in a way so we've got the chance to just go through our packaging now and we'll look at um changing it and we initially were a bit disappointed but i think it's a bit of a blessing in disguise it's something we've had our hand forced on something we wanted to do Anyway.
0: You said that you hoped that beer would sort of die out a year ago. Yeah. Which is interesting for a beer that every, anyone who knows Hop Nation knows that beer and people who don't know Hop Nation know that beer. So it it, it's a great, it was a great beer to
1: uh, fly your flag. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a good breakthrough beer for us. I mean, I think every brewery probably has something that broke through for them. Um, And initially, like, there was, you know, a little bit of a fad around the the label side of it but from you know credit to the, the brew team the quality of beers held held its held its own so yeah we'll we've learned a lot from making that beer as well um, from other beers and the techniques and the discussions around it so i mean there's lots of positives coming out of it it's just that initial um decision to stick that on the label that you know it's caused some issues but it's also been it's caused some um, resulted in some in some great traction in, in market with our other beers that we probably wouldn't have got without it.
0: So what's next for Hop Nation then? Uh, have you got anything exciting coming up?
1: Um, we've, we've been putting a, quite a bit of effort into our sour beer program, so there's a, a whole range of releases under site. But, um, yeah, we've got three new um, kettle sours coming up next week as a series, which um, we've been working on um we've got a couple of new beers we've got a few new releases coming out this month and then and then it's event season and um festival season pretty pretty close around the corner so um there's always something happening likely you'll be
0: coming back from uh, 10 days of surfing refreshed yeah yeah i hope so <laughs> and not injured and <laughs> not injured
1: make sure you wear a helmet and uh, i hope you've got insurance I do, actually, yeah, Yeah. definitely. No, my insurance broker has scared me enough that I have insurance everywhere I go now. Well, Sam Hemble, congratulations on everything you've achieved with uh,
0: Hop Nation, and uh, thank you very much for joining us on uh, Beer as a Conversation.
1: Yeah, cheers, Matt. Thanks.
0: And that was Sam Hemble. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at bruisenews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Bruise News bottle opener and thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a mixed six-pack of Australian craft beer. When Brews News cast and crew are buying online, we buy at Beer Cartel. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation.